Welcome to the Bag Drop, untold stories in golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club, Matt Considine. Today, we have a very special guest, Marty Jertson, professional golfer since 2002, PGA of America member out in the Southwest section, the director of product development at Ping, and co-founder of the Stack System, a speed training product and system for golfers. Uh, one really cool thing about this episode is we were talking the day before the U.S. Open was set to get underway. And Marty, uh, prior to the podcast and on the podcast, had mentioned a certain individual he was spending some some time with uh, working in the stack system. And that was a guy by the name of Matthew Fitzpatrick. Uh, who obviously went on to win the U.S. Open that week. So kind of a cool uh, coincidence there, perhaps. But, um, you know, I quote, Matt said in his press conference on Saturday after hoisting the uh, U.S. Open trophy, I'll be honest, the stack system has worked wonders. So um, kudos to Matt Fitzpatrick, kudos to Marty here on the pod and everything they've done with the stack. Uh, we don't just talk about the stack system on this one. We also talk about Marty's career, his own appearances in major, major championships, uh, game improvement philosophies that he's had and how they've changed, as well as creating over 125 patents in the golf industry. Uh, I think all of them with Ping or, or his other startups. So um, really fascinating guy and knows a ton about speed training and uh, the products help you do it. Um, so enjoy this one. The bag drop would not be possible without our friends and partners from True Temper, Golf Blueprint, and this week's, yes, it's finally here, this week's official summer medal. Our partners are Journeyman Distillery. We'll be in Northern Michigan playing Arcadia, Belvedere, Kingsley Club, and Forest Dunes, The Loop both directions. So uh, very excited to be there. Very excited to have Journeyman Distillery as our partner again this year. Golf and whiskey, you know, they just go together like the perfect twosome. Journeyman Silver Cross Four Grand Whiskey hails its name from a medal that was given out in the early days of the Open Championship. This medal would later come to symbolize friendship, tradition, camaraderie, and spirited competition. In that same spirit, Journeyman has created a tradition they call Four Grains for Golf, and they donate 1% of all sales from Silver Cross Whiskey back to various golf charities and organizations that teach kids the game of golf and its values. Kids also get to play free at Welter's Folly, a 30,000 square foot real grass putting green modeled after the famous Himalayas golf course to the right of number one at St. Andrews. Right there in the backyard of the distillery, you can go play it with your friends and family. Uh, stop by and check them out on your next road trip or visit their full line of spirits over at Journeyman Distillery. Com. Now, without further ado, on to the show. Marty Jertsen, welcome to the bag drop. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for having me. It's going to be going to be a fun uh, fun pod. I'm feeling. Yeah, thanks for for joining us. Uh, good member, friend of ours, uh, Bill Colbert put us Colbert put us in touch, and uh, yeah, he's been talking a lot about you guys in the stack system, but. Um, I, I just, you know, research and I love talking to golfers. That's what this pod's all about. And you, my friend are like in every realm of the golf world. I feel like <laughs> a, a Renaissance man, if you will. Um, I want to start with your play, your playing, your golf performance yeah. yourself. Um, you've played in six majors. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk, let's start there. Which, which major was the most meaningful for you? 
Um, definitely the the 2019 PGA Championship at Beth Page. Uh, I finally made the cut, man. So that was my, uh, you know, I got in a few right when I got my PGA membership and uh, it was intimidating and, and quite frankly, like it was a bit overwhelming. Like I got out there and sometimes you play in those big things and you leave with more confidence. And and I got and played in a couple of those and I was kind of uh, not demoralized, but I was like, man, it's going to be hard. It's hard to hang with the with the big boys in a big tournament like that, because I played in this, you know, Shriners event in Vegas. This is this like different scale. You know what I mean? What? Like you get in those, those big events and uh, there's just a lot of pressure on your game, a lot of stress. When, when does it hit you? Because uh, we're watching, you know, this week is the uh, open week when we're talking U.S. Open week. And, yeah. you know, they're at the country club and people were, the coverage was joking about these five, six hour practice rounds. And you, know, you think all these guys, it's, it is their first major or or one of the few that they've yeah. qualified into. Um, when, when does it hit you as a player, as one of those guys that, you know, isn't top hundred in the world playing in every major? Like when, when does it hit you? Like, yeah, this is the big show. I'm here. Yeah, it's when it's when uh, it's when Tiger rolls up and and uh, and and uh, <laughs> sets his sets his bag down right next to you on the range. That's when it hits you. You know, that's your wake up call, man. So, oh, but uh, it's been uh, it's been a fun journey, man. So uh, that Beth Page one was my favorite because I uh, I worked hard on my game to kind of optimize my game to do good, and and that was my. After I played in in a couple of them, or quite frankly, after I played in one of them, you know, I always revised my goals. Like I never thought I'd played in one PGA Tour event, and then I got in one, and I was like, okay, and now I need to like have a different goal, you know. So I kind of leveled up my goals, and then my goal was to to, to play the weekend in a in a major, and I worked on my game specific things, including speed and power, and you know, I had to kind of evolve my game specifically, like you know, play good in a major and, and sure enough, it paid off. And I had a real magical week out there and the fans in New York were awesome. And it was just, uh, everything about that event was magical to me. Uh, so that was my favorite, uh, favorite of all of them. That's awesome. And we had did the New York crowd get behind dirty bird. Did they, they did, man. They were, they were, uh, they were kind of fun. They were fun and a little bit rowdy, but very cordial, you know, when you need to play your shot. So, you know, I'd be walking down the fairway and they'd be, they'd be calling me, uh, Oh, there goes George Jetson beat George Jetson. Do, 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 do. You know, but I was loving every, I was loving every second of it. It kind of, yeah. you know, it took the edge off of the pressure while you're out there, uh, you know, strolling the fairways, worrying about your next shot. That's, that's so cool. I mean, just what a life experience playing in those and, and you're not done either. I know that. I mean, no, we're going to, we're going to knock off a few more. So, uh, but you know, a couple of years ago, I played in the U S open at, at Wingfoot, And so this is fun to watch what's going on right now because the U S Open's a whole, even a whole another animal in terms of how, how they set them up. And, uh, and that one, that one was very fun too, but a totally different type of challenge. And they've all had their own, you know, identity to them and, and different types of stress. What What's your thoughts on the setup you guys played at Wingfoot? Because I know with Bryson, you know, his approach to that kind of, caught a lot of us off guard right of of the the can you really bomb and gouge wing foot like what was your impression of of that setup yeah actually it was the only way to play it because uh the, it was it, it was like this thought experiment if the fairways are so narrow right there, there's a point where you make the fairways so narrow there's no point in having a fairway 
So it was almost like you could look at that golf course as if there was there were no fairways. You're just hitting it out there in the rough because of the lowest fairway hit percentage in U.S. Open history. And so like they made the fairways like in terms of width, they were like 18 to 22 yards wide, but they didn't even play that wide because a the crosswinds b the fairway, the fairways ran like 10 on 12 on centimeter, you know, they ran, they were fast. And then a lot of them kind of curved around and they sloped the opposite direction. So like, you know, in terms of the geometry of them, they're probably playing like, you know, 12 yards wide, you know, or something. I mean, just ridiculous. So there may as well have not been a fairway. I mean, the fairway hit percentage, I mean, I hit one out of three fairways, you know, so it's like, you know, it was pretty much your defaults. You're hitting out of the rough. Yeah. Wow. You're not hitting out of the fairway as a default. And so it's all about angles, actually. When you can't hit the fairway, you gotta you have the right angle, kind of gouge it up there near the green. And then his long his speed and then having long length short irons to get out of the rough with a single length set, which normally is probably bad for his wedge game, actually turned about turned out to be big advantage to get more speed out of the rough. So interesting. I mean, I, I've never heard someone phrase it that way. There might, there might as well have been no fairway, which makes total sense from the math yeah. standpoint. Um, yeah. you, your, uh, uh, let's touch on your, your design uh, career here too for a bit because uh, I believe you know, 17 years with Ping. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. Coming up on it. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. I think 19 if you include my internships there. So I'm getting close <laughs> to 20. Okay. Uh, and and I think 125 patents share your name. Yeah, yeah. That's wild, man. I mean, just like I don't know much about in you know being an inventor, which I think yeah. is the coolest title. Like if I was at a bar single, I'd probably tell people who would ask me what I do. If I were you, I'd say, yeah, I'm an inventor. Oh, I'm an uh, inventor. Yeah, I, know. I might try that out. But uh, but no, your name's been on a lot of these. You know, the G30 driver, the G410, uh, one ping putting app, the. Uh, yeah, ball dynamic ball fitting. So I, I just I was reading up a little bit about all this stuff, and I'm like, man, how'd this guy get into this? So tell me what, what I mean, lifelong golfer, but how'd you decide design club design was going to be your your jam? Yeah, I think it was because I wasn't good enough at golf, you know, when I graduated from college. So I, I, um, yeah, actually, in hindsight, I did a very smart thing. I was kind of a not a top tier junior player, so I wasn't quite good enough to play D one, and they didn't like you to do engineering. So I went to engineering school in Colorado, Colorado School of Mines, mining engineering, kind of is the history. But I was a mechanical engineer, got better at golf, and then uh, you know, one of my buddies, golf buddies, was like, "Hey, you, you should, you should." Uh, I was playing this tournament in Vail, Colorado, the Colorado Open, beautiful course. He's like, "This should be, this is could be your office, man. You turn pro." This is going to be your office, not sitting in some cube, you know, like the rest of your people are going about to graduate. So I was like, oh, OK. So I tried to play the mini tours for like a year and a half, went to Q school, failed miserably twice. And I I, I uh, quit early uh, trying to play for a living and then, uh, you know, retired. And then I went to work for Ping uh, kind of part time and then full time uh, doing design stuff. And and uh work just i uh, just it's a great company and a great environment because you can kind of choose your own path and if you have a passion and creativity the company's small enough that it has this still has this entrepreneurial feel to it like when the founder carson solheim a frustrated engineer founded it you know that's what we're all doing there we're all like passionate golfers trying to solve problems like you know with skin in the game sort of for ourselves and our own curiosity and then we get to go in the office and and try to solve it so it's been really fun working on 
you know, club designs. I spent a ton of years doing 3D CAD work and all the nitty gritty to get to get product to the market. I've been fortunate to work on, you know, some pretty fun products and, and leverage some, some of the fun research that we've done there. But, you know, outside of even clubs, I've worked on, yeah, I've had a passion on the fitting side. So how do you like, you know, you know, technology, you're leveraging technology. And so, you know, I got, you know, I got an iPod for Christmas one year and I was like, Oh, looking at the sensors and this type of stuff and made a pro snapped it on my putter and got some sensor data that looked pretty interesting. And that turned into this iPing putting app. And then fast forward to today, you know, we do a lot of ball testing. And so, you know, but we never really used it or passed it to the consumer. And so we came up with a ball fitting service that our accounts can either license and you can get fit in a launch monitor with one of our accounts that license it uh, or use a consumer can directly go on there and like walk through uh, all the questions that would guide you to find and select the optimal golf ball. And it, it leverages really cool aerodynamic testing, which uh, balls can fly very differently than their initial conditions might suggest. So testing or, or evaluating balls indoors is, you know, not pointless, but you're only getting about half the picture of what's going to happen. So we test them and measure all the lift and drag coefficients, all the golf balls on the market, maintain a database and built a ball fitting tool. So I just kind of like have curiosity in one area and we just kind of go try to solve the problem and, and productize it. I, I love hearing that about ping too i had uh i don't know if the name steve lohmeyer rings a bell oh yeah i know lohmeyer caddied for me in uh in the pga championship at uh at bell reeve in 2018 and we had a great time out there so i i played my college golf at university of akron and steve was my my foe Uh, stevie low stevie low was the man and still is the man but but yeah I've, i've heard similar stories about ping and just um how refreshing that is to hear about a big company that maintains that entrepreneurial spirit right and letting guys like your smart people um innovate for themselves and and create i know you know you mostly hear that within google and you know facebook and companies like that that are trying to to push that but uh, there's a golf company right there you know ping's a big one and and you have yeah you've you've out of that made some really cool things one being the stack system which i know we're going to talk a good bit about um but I wanted to kind of, I guess, go, get there because I want to know the evolution that brought you to the stack system. It sounds like um, now I understand that environment. I'm sure that had something to do with it. But what was the iteration before you said, I think this is it. I think this is this, the, the system that we want to design and the product that we want to design. How, how did you get there? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it goes back to, uh, it goes back to Stevie Lowe and then it goes back to, uh, to Beth page, man. So in 18, 2018, Stevie Lowe's candidate for me, he did an awesome job. Uh, but I played the PGA championship, played really good to qualify for it at, uh, at Bell Reeve. And I, you know, was paired with Luke list and, and, uh, and he was hitting it. No joke. He was hitting it 60 to 65 yards by me. And I was like sneaky short. Like I had nothing else, man. The course was long. I mean, they're all long. I mean, that course was get, you know, kind of soft. The scores were low, but there was long and there's heavy rough. And I just could not get the ball out there with the big guys, you know, even to hit it average. I'm like, yeah, I'm in okay shape, man. I should be able to do this. So I uh, called up after that when ever after every tournament season, you know, I kind of have a retrospective. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do different? And that was like, I cannot get in one of these again and without hitting it further. 
And, and so, you know, I was like very, I was on a mission. Like I, I got to solve this. And so we have a, um, you know, a bio ping is very fortunate. We have these strategic partnerships with a lot of the top coaches and they're um, for us and they're like kind of engineering and brand ambassadors. So Andrew Rice is one of them. And we got Chuck Cook. He's like a legend down there in Austin. We love hanging out with him. We got Stan Utley. You know, we got Grant Waite on the on the team with us. We got Chris Como. And then we have this biomechanist in Canada named Sasha McKenzie. So that year I went to Sasha. I was like, hey, man, how do I what do I got to do? And so he put me on a like a weightlifting program. He's like, man, the first thing we got to get you like just doing like deadlifts. Let's get you strong, you know, so you can train. And so he put me on this deadlift program and he, it was like, he gave me this spreadsheet. It was like exactly what to do. And I followed this thing religiously and, you know, and I just doing it in my house and every few weeks I have to go to play against sports and get some more weights, man. Cause I was like getting stronger quick. You know, I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. And so then after that, I got strong. I was like, hey, how do I swing it faster? Cause I got, I got a little bit faster. He's like, well, you know, I've been doing some research in my lab on, on uh, overspeed, overload, overload training. He's like, actually, I got an idea. This is at the PGA show that year. He's like, I got this idea for a product, man. Let's make it like a, you know, one club that has all these weights with all the fine adjustments. And then we'll make like an app for it and, and walk you through. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So I built, you know, I'm kept the uh, wherewithal to cat it up and make prototypes real quick in our machine shop. And so uh, we built a, a prototype of the hardware and then he sent me again, the spreadsheet. And so I was training off this spreadsheet with timers and a little radar and clocks. And I was trying to do all the time. Cause when you do it, like the rest times uh, and all this stuff is like pretty precise. It's just like weightlifting. Like you got to yeah. rest for a certain amount of time so you can ramp up your speed. You know, you, 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 there's no reason to be swinging over and over again, very rapidly because you don't do that on the golf course. Like it's, there's no value to that could hurt you actually. And so, uh, sure enough, I, my club at speed, like went up and, and fast forward that year into the qualifier for the PGA championship in, in 19, I had tons of speed. Like I was, I was, hit, I was hitting it 30 yards further off the tee and hit my irons further and hitting it higher. And that was literally the key to me, like making the cut and, and having that dream week at Beth pitch. Wow. And so it's, again, it was kind of born out of my own personal frustration and then trying to solve, you know, trying to solve it. Sasha had all the research on the algorithms and the ideas. He's all the done all the exercise science behind it. And then uh, and then fast forward to today, we I mean we've productized an app-based, you know, solution. The app's the coolest part, it does everything for you. It tells you exactly what to do and rest times, timers, talk to it, all that stuff. But it was just that productizing that solution that we made for myself and that own frustration and then and then pass along to the market. Now we've we've literally helped thousands of golfers and track millions of swings of and so we're doing more you know every user that's using the system is kind of doing research for us because we're yeah. continuing to try to kind of optimize the algorithms and the training and the exercise science so that that part is is, is mega cool and really fun we've had a number of uh entrepreneurs on this show i think probably once a quarter we try to get a new golf product or somebody that's making something and i think the one thing that's always consistent is like that problem you now see not being solved, you can't unsee and it sticks with totally. you. And yeah, but you saw it directly in your own game and your own. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I want to let's go maybe a slight step back to like the overall discussion on speed. And um, when did you, cause we're about the same age. We, 
you know, seemed to yeah. college golf around the same time. When did you see the change in um, uh, data really suggesting that, or, or data making it obvious that speed and distance was going to yield lower scores? Maybe, you know, said another way, the disproven uh, pun mm. for dough, you know, driving yeah, yeah, a show, yeah. pun for dough, like disproving that. Cause I, yeah. I think about my early competitive days and I was like, it wasn't really the main focus. Yeah. We all wanted to hit it. We talked about distance. We weren't talking about speed in my yeah. like, kind of high school, junior golf college days yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. When, when did you see that, that what, what were some of the uh, dynamics that made it like front and center that everyone started to agree on that? Yeah. Good question. I think it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those things that's obvious in hindsight. So playing in some of those big tournaments, having the big guys hit it by me, knowing that I have to, it feels like I have to do everything else perfect and they don't have to. Right. Um, so I think I kind of had that in my intuition and then it was, you know, I got, we, I think the whole industry needs to give credit to Mark Brody and every shot counts for, for exposing that. I mean, that's the money ball of golf, man. And he was the, he was the OG in the space and to, to establish the, the right metrics around it because data is tough, man. You don't measure the right thing or look at data through the right lens. I mean, you can go the wrong direction quick. Yeah. And so he was able to, you know, with the strokes gain stat that he came up with, come up with the right stat to, uh, you know, and he's got this chart in his book that's like, you know, it, it's got stroke scheme band that goes along diagonally and he's got distance on one axis and accuracy is a percent offline on the other. And you could see that, you know, guys would have higher strokes gained that didn't hit it as straight, but they hit it, ex, you know, disproportionately further. So there's different ways to get to the same stroke scheme driving. And then, you know, I've been fortunate. My, my uh, His son works for me at Ping, Chris Brody. He's their math wizard, data science wizard, and kind of my sidekick here on uh, exploring fun fun things. And so I've, I've gotten to know Mark well, and he actually caddied for me. Um, and uh, and we played a practice round with Francesco Molinari, uh, the, who just won the Open Championship um, uh, there at Bethpage. And Mark caddied for me for nine holes in the practice round. And so, uh, you know, I think I got, we got to give a lot of credit to him for laying that foundation there. And then, it, then the whole industry is kind of, you know, now it's no, it's no surprise anymore. I mean, nobody needs to be convinced it's important uh, because of the work he did. And, you know, in the five years that followed all the tour players and, and what they, what they've been doing strategic strategy wise. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's also that, you know, uh, fitness became, you know, Tiger put it all front and center. Right. Yeah. And, and fitness was kind of what I remember the discussions being about is like, man, my scrawny ass needs to get stronger. Right. Yeah. And then I'm going to be hit it farther, but we still weren't talking about speed. Yeah. Uh, what, when did, when did speed training you, you feel also become kind of the, the focal point? Yeah, I think I think speed training's on the early end. Like I think we're at the very beginning of speed training because nobody knows how to do it. Nobody nobody knows how to do it. They don't know how to do it properly, or they're doing the wrong thing. That they, they you know they're they're you know swinging from their knees or left handed or too quick and like it's not working, so they quit. You know, so I think we're at the very early days of speed training uh, because, uh, again, don't the, like the mass market just doesn't know how to do it. And, um, and so that's where the stack I think is very exciting. And I think we have a lot of upside potentials. It's, it tells you exactly what to do. And then, you know, we're gaining all the research on, on all the, 
the user, the, the speed data and seeing which programs work most effectively, which rest times work most effectively, which kind of, we have a bunch of programs which are most effective and we can continue to try to pass those learnings like immediately to the market. So strength is a big deal. I think launch monitors and having the feedback on every single shot is a major deal for the tour players. And, and now like, you know, every, pretty much everyone can have a launch monitor. Like you, you get a launch monitor that measures ball speed for $200 off you go, like that's all you need. So I think measurement tools are a big part of the picture as well, because you know if you're not measuring it and getting that instant feedback, incentive, or pain to drive your gain, you know you're not you're you're uh, with the measurement. You can explore what technique you can do self exploration on what techniques, what feels, what flows. You know how you're going to generate power that you know you you might only be able to do if you went on some fancy force plates with the high end coach. Now I think. The model is that what the tour players have access to through prototypes or early days, you know, five to 10 years later, we want to try to pass those to consumers. I feel my role is to try to fast track that, you know, get that tour, tour product, tour service, tour coaching right to the market. And that's what effectively when you train on the stack, you are working personally with Sasha McKenzie, you know, and he's the one that's that's coaching Matt Fitzpatrick and some of these guys that are just going on the speed yeah. side. So He's using the exact same algorithms that you would if you got the stack, you know. Um, so that part is really cool. It's like packing his brain and all the science and research right there in the app. I'll tell you right now, I uh, was introduced to you guys uh, probably a year ago, maybe maybe a little bit more, uh, the stack system. And, and my instant, like, what's different about this was all that data collection. When I saw there was yeah. the app, when I saw what goes into it, I go, oh, these guys are sitting on mountains of data. I get, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not a math guy at all, but uh, one of our earliest members is a, uh, we call him the professor. He's a mathematician down at university of Georgia or teaches math ed. And, uh, and he, he's really described to me like this AI learning and, and how things just get better. And the only way yeah. to improve the inputs. And, and so uh, my guess is Sasha, who, who seems like a flat out, genius from the from the get-go was that intentional did you guys always have okay we're oh, gonna yeah. have an app we're gonna have this stuff input yeah so if you think about it like Sasha before having this product he would he would have and he has he he's a you know a, a professor at his university so he would have um a, sign up local golfers to come into his lab and do research so they'd be coming in with our prototype hardware and doing you know, a certain percentage of weight over a certain percentage under and doing all this research. And, but it would be a lot of work to get like 10 or 20 players in there for a, for a trial. And it would take months to get, you know, data on like 10 players. I mean, now we're getting that amount of data, like in six hours, you know? So it's like, okay, this is a forcing function for learning um, and being able to collect it. So that, that part is tons of fun. And, uh, and the app's going to continue to get better and we're going to add features even beyond speed training, which is really cool. So, um, those are, those are coming down the pipe as well. That's, uh, maybe take an another step back about actual speed training. I'd love to, for those listening that are kind of like, you know, never done speed training, don't understand maybe what it, it requires or what, uh, like, what are the factors of speed? And, and how does, and then maybe, maybe walk us through your guys stack system to like how it impacts those factors. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I, I saw you on Mike Carroll on your show too. And we're, we're kind of big fans of him. He, he, he does some good explanations on the difference between strength training and speed training, like strength training, let's say you're lifting a heavy weight. You got actually in the grand scheme of things, even though you might do it quick, like a lot of time to kind of build up that force through the, all those, the, the fibers and the muscles. Right. Yeah. So speed training is very different. Like you're trying to ramp that speed, like quick. And so it's a totally different stimulus on your body. So it needs to be trained in a different way. You need to nurture it differently. So there's like strength I view as like your base, like, okay, you need to have this like base strength level. That's going to help you prevent injury, allow you to train, allow you to play and practice a lot without getting hurt. So you have good technique, you know, it's kind of like an injury prevention, you know, and give you that base for speed. Like it's a requirement for speed, but at a certain point, like you can't just keep getting stronger and then you're correlated to hitting it further. You need to speed train. And so speed training and the whole exercise science behind what we do is variable inertia speed training, which is we're varying the inertia or the like rotational properties about your hands. So to generate speed, you, 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 you can put either kind of like linear force on the club or, and you put rotational force to get the club to like whip around or close. And so there's linear force, there's rotational force. And so speed training uh, really tries to apply, you know, we, we're training the stimulus to help improve both of those things. And we do that through like having very fine changes in the mass of effectively like what in our product where the club head is, you wanna, you wanna increase it and decrease it a certain amount very scientifically, and you want to train that uh, very precisely to swing, you know, a, you know, a certain calculated amount faster than you normally do for so many reps and sets and rest intervals, and then a certain calculated amount slower than you normally do uh, or heavier to allow you to put more force on it. And through toggling back and forth from, oh, I'm swinging this lighter, I can actually do this and light the match with my fibers and a little bit slower, but not too heavy. You don't want to go too heavy. Your body and your muscles can learn, okay, I need to ramp up this force like well, more massively also quickly. And so you're training that stimulus. And by cycling back and forth between those two things, that's where the magic happens of speed training. They do it in a lot of other sports. There's really cool videos to see like sprinters. They'll have sprinters. There's a cool video of a sprinter uh, running behind this like, vehicle thing that's like uh that's taken all the the uh the force of drag away from the runner so they're running in like a vacuum environment basically right and so they can run faster than they normally can it's doing the exact same thing and then they'll run with the little parachutes on their back so they're putting having to put more force but you don't want to wear a massive parachute they're wearing like a small parachute so you know all that stuff and how they do that is like very calculated you don't want to be going like well, why don't I swing an alignment stick? That's light. Why don't I swing the Medicus over here? That's heavy. You don't want to be doing that. Like you don't walk into a gym and, and have a five pound weight and a hundred pound weight. You know, you got like five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. And so that's what our product does. It allows you to kind of have all those little intervals so you can, you can go back and forth precisely. Is, is that the biggest mistake you see with people speed training or, or trying to swing faster is that they are jumping too heavy, too light, or, or what, what's the most common mistake you see? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think going too heavy, too light is one of them. I think like, 
you know, I, I think I've said this before, but I see videos of people just like swinging fast, just swinging fast over and over and over, you know, till they're like fatigued. I mean, that doesn't do any good either. If you're going to, if you're going to lift a heavy weight, man, like you rest, you get, yeah. you get ready to go, you know, give yourself three minutes or whatever it is. And then you, you crank this thing up and you lift it. You know what I mean? So um, I think that's one of them. I think we're, we're not too big at the stack on swinging from your non-dominant, from your left-hand side. If you're a right-handed golfer, there's like not, not a ton of value in that. So we don't, uh, we don't, we don't waste folks time doing that or swinging off your knees or any of these type of things. Um, yeah, we just, we want people to have the right amount of, you get tired doing the stack workout, but you're not like, you're not blasted, like fatigued, like you just burned out, you know, like you're going to do burnouts at the, at the end of your set. So yeah, I think it's swinging weights that are, that are grossly too light, grossly too heavy, not having the right rest intervals, and having the right pacing to your training. Um, and so those are the, those are some of the things we really focused on with our product is to make sure we, we really optimize those. And we actually incentivize them in the app. If you train with the right rest intervals, you get what's, we, we just made this up, the name of it, but it's called a grit, grit I was, score. I was going to ask you about that. I haven't, yeah. seen, I haven't seen a grit score anywhere. Yeah, I think uh-huh. we're the first people to uh, make an algorithm for your grit, you know? So, uh, so yeah, if you, the grit score has nothing to do with gaining speed. You know, the algorithm just looks at, are you training uh, with the right spacing, you know, every like three days, whatever we recommend. And then are you resting the right amount between each swing? And if you do those two things good, it just means you're compliant to your uh, to your training. You get a very high score. And so we have a lot of college golf coaches and, and uh, you know, fitness trainers who use it and they can follow their users data in the app. And they'll have contests like, okay, who can have the highest grit score over this next six weeks period? Because they know these people are training exactly to the right protocol. And what do you know? We see a correlation between that and how and your gains. And so um, that's 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 a cool part. Love love that the grit score. Uh, the I know there's there's a, kind of a custom element to it. Not everyone that is in the stack is going to have the same program. But can you maybe? generally for everyone listening, give us like what that training program generally looks like and what what you could expect. Yeah, definitely. So like the first thing you do at the stack is like an onboarding session. We call it the baseline session. And so that is, um, we, we have you swing through a range of weights. You swing from like our heaviest configuration, medium, heavy, medium, medium, light, light. And then you swing your own driver and then one, one of the other fun parts, and Sasha's done with some, this with some of his tour players, and it's been uh, uh, pretty revealing, is being able to unlock a lot of speed, is we have you take all the weights off. So now we make that club really light, and we have you swing with your right arm only or your trail arm only. And then you have, we, we have you swing with your left arm only. And there's videos in the app that tell you how to do this, because it takes if you haven't done it before, it takes a little bit of coordination. And in fact, when people train those, those arms, um, uh, it's a lot of, it's kind of like coordination buildup before you even add any weight to them in the programming. And so you do that initial baseline session. That's the longest session that takes like 30 to 35 minutes. Cause you're, you're going through all those different weights. And so boom, after you do that, the app kind of generates like a force velocity curve. It looks at like how fast you can swing it going from light to heavy. Um, and so we use that to drive the algorithms again, exactly as if Sasha was like literally there, like figuring out, okay, do this next. 
And then we recommend, we make a recommendation on one of our programs to do. And a lot of users go through like our meat and potatoes program first, which is called the foundations program. Um, and then, and so what, how that works is it, it's a, it takes about six weeks. So it's about 18 workouts. It takes about six weeks. You train every three days, two to three days. So you're not training every day. You're not training twice a day. You like, you know, train, wait a couple of days. Um, and each workout then does not take a half hour. It takes about 20 minutes. So, you know, between 18 to 22 minutes for all those workouts, depending on the workout. And so the app will cycle, tell you, okay, Hey, put on 195 grams, boom, make eight swings and swing with a certain intent. So the app also tells you, okay, uh, swing with kind of full intent. That's as if you're on a wide open par five, 18th hole. If you hit a good drive, like you're virtually guaranteed to make birdie. That's like your mindset, right? So it's like, you're going to maintain your balance. It's going to be like an on-course swing. Then we have some times where we tell you to swing with max intent. That's like, I don't even care where that ball's going because we're just trying to swing the stick fast, right? And so the app tells you that, describes it to you, gives little videos pop up and things like that. And so a typical workout will be, okay, you swing that for eight, six or eight swings, then it'll tell you to put on 225 grams. That'll all be calculated specific to every user. So we have users that are seven, eight-year-olds training speed. We got users in their 80s training speed. So the ones in their 80s, they're getting lighter weights. Like, you know, and then the very fast players where we got training, they're getting heavier weights. That's kind of all, all figured out for you. And that's the really fun part about that stack. That one piece of hardware can service the juniors, the kids, the nine-year-olds, yep. our tour players that are swinging fast because we have such a broad range. And so it's really fun. So the app kind of has the timer in it, tells you when to swing. It counts down three, two, one, boom, you swing. You got to have a little compatible radar. We there's a, you know, we like a few of them that are, that are on our website there. You, you see the speed and then our app, none of these radars have Bluetooth yet. Yet. So our app, uh, you can turn it on to, I want to talk to it mode, this dictate mode. And you literally just say the speed. So you see on your radar, like, okay, 105, you just say 105, the app reads it in, confirms it. Boom. And then we, we have a bunch of cool analytics that happen after your workout. Boom, you see workout summaries and things like that. Well, the app knows your fastest speed. So one of the funnest things our users like, and I love this too, is if you set a personal record with a certain weight, uh, it starts cheering for you during your workout. So it gives you a little motivation, you know. So that part's really cool. And we're going to continue to add features like that. Nice. Um, the uh, What do you tell somebody that's, a you know 15 20 handicap who yeah because we we I, I feel and this is just anecdotal but you know we got 500 600 members within the new club and um a lot of the the better players are chasing speed like everybody's chasing speed and talking yeah. from a, i'd say you know five below sometimes 10 and below but like a 15 or 20 when i chat with them they're mostly saying like hey man i gotta find the center of the club phase they're like i gotta stop three putting you know what what do you tell do you think it's in terms of priorities of, of golf performance. And oh, I love that question. Yeah. Like, like where does speed training fit in for a, a higher handicapper? Yeah, we've, we actually have looked at this on the pink side because um, our question was for a, for a 15 handicap golfer, like uh, with the driver fitting, how much should we focus on helping them hit it further versus straighter? And there's a major bias out there. Like your, your average fitter uh, might have that, kind of misconception that, Hey, I, this guy, I just need to get the guy or gal. I just need to get him to hit it straighter. That's my goal in the driver fit. 
So they over-focus on short-length drivers uh, and, and trying to over-optimize for trying to reduce your impact stature and things of that nature. So what do we do? We looked at it from a strokes gain optics. And this is really cool because I that is like the age-old question. Like how much should I focus on distance versus accuracy? So that's what we looked at. And for the PGA Tour player, uh, there's a ratio there that for every three yards they gain, they can live with one more yard of offline. Uh, and that's like your PGA Tour heuristic. So let's say you're, uh, you're Bryson, man, and you're like, I'm going to chase speed. And so I'm gonna, he gets 15 yards more distance. As long as he his left-right dispersion doesn't grow by more than five yards, that's a break-even. So if he hits it 15 yards further, your left-right dispersion grows by four yards, you're, that's going to be a positive stroke gain at the end of the year. Um, so, you know, if you can gain 15 yards and keep it the same or, or narrow it or only have it grow by two, that's all a positive return on investment. Like if you look at an ROI standpoint. Now, if you're a, if you're a 15 handicapper, that gets actually way more disproportionate on distance. And the reason why is because they're hitting it shorter to begin with. And so then getting them closer to the hole off that first tee shot helps them. You're closer to the uh, hole. So you have less chance for error and mistakes to compound going into the green. So if you can have help them hit it 15 yards further, and now they're hitting one or two clubs less into the green, there's less distance for them to kind of compound the rest of their, their, uh, you know, uh, not as refined skill coming into the green. And so it's actually more important that's what we found from a strokes gain standpoint uh, for the high handicap golfer to work on distance. And so in, do you know, do you know fitting, what that ratio was? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's two to one. It's two to one. Two so to for one. the tour okay. players, three to one. And for your 15 handicapper, it's two to one. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it's not exactly a binary thing, but you can kind of put it right in those buckets, you know, yeah. and there's exceptions. If, if you're, you know, home course is a tight course with a lot of penalty, that ratio is different. But if we kind of look at average course, average players, average dispersions, it's two to one. So every two yards you gain when you go with one yard offline. So if you can help them hit it 20 yards further and they hit it 10, their thing grows by 10 yards left, right. That's a break even. So, so it makes it easier to kind of have that win from a scoring standpoint. So at Ping, we're starting to fit more of these high handicap golfers and we have a very stable high inertia driver. So that's like the powerhouse that allows us to do it. But we're fitting more of them into like 45 and three quarter, 46 inch drivers because, because again, a lot of the golfers we have come in and they hit it pretty straight, you know? So it's like, okay, let's help them hit it further. So I would say the stats show that it's like a premium to get it further down there from your score. And it's fun to outdrive your buddies, right? No one can deny that. <laughs> and then, uh, and then there's that uh, there's just that disproportionate incentive to get that ball closer to the hole. So you can do it through speed training and club fitting. And then so in, in, and so that's, I think the approach I think would be wise to take for your 15 handicappers, you know, Hey, winter time comes around. Let's get this thing going. The other benefit of the stack is it helps you get a lot of reps. And so just getting a lot of reps in, uh, you know, without, you, you don't get tired, but you know, it's, let's say you're going to train in the winter during the winter time and you're in your garage or your hitting bay or whatever, you're just getting like a lot of reps in and we're seeing that golfers drive the ball better uh, just through training, right? It's like you have this uh, training effect. It's like a unintended consequence of the stack is the players are just simply driving the ball better because you're just getting a lot of reps in. 
you know, you're exploring your forces and torques and what it takes to generate, generate speed. It's so funny you say that because Mike Carroll, who we had on a couple weeks ago, the fit for golf, he, he said something very similar when I asked about off season and he goes, you know, one of the best things you can do to keep your fitness up is walk during the off season, yeah. walk like you would when you're walking on a golf course and swing. And he goes, yeah. and you just make reps. It, like you just don't realize that when you take your body out of that motion, how how much yes. is kind of lost. And he's like, just just keep swinging through the winter. It just that's yeah. like a huge advantage. So Matt, for me personally, I even though I live in Arizona and like the weather's nice in the winter, I actually don't. I I take a lot of time off. I kind of hibernate in golf. You know, spend time with my family, focus on other things. So like after you know, uh, October comes around my last little tournament, man. I, I take like three, four months off, like don't touch a club, but I'll train in my garage and with the stack, I don't even hit a golf ball. And in the last two years I've done that, I come out of that winter and I've, I'm like ready to go, man. Like I don't have that normal. It's like, okay, I got like six weeks to kind of find my low point and get my speed and my face contact and figure out where the ball's going. You know, if you stack train in the winter, like I come out like just ready to roll, just like Mike Carroll said. So it was, I didn't expect that. That's an unintended wow. consequence. That, that, um, that is, uh, this is a, a personal challenge I've had. So uh, I, I, I haven't done a ton of speed training. I, I do, I have done. I'm now like a, a dad, soon to be dad of two. I just don't get oh, yeah. very I'm often. With you. <laughs> I, it's like totally gone out the window. But uh, my best seasons were uh, I, I did train, strike train, uh, mobility train, worked out consistently through the off season. And then I come yeah. out and I see a gain in, in uh, distance. My speed is up. Yes. And, and then it tapers because when, and especially living in Chicago, we have a short golf season. I'm, I'm playing golf. I'm not working out. I can't do both yeah. with my schedule. So yeah. I always see it taper off. And by September, yeah. I'm considerably shorter. Like it, I've lost weight, one, because I'm walking. I like to, I'm yep. a walking golfer. Uh, <laughs> Sounds two, like me. I'm not working out and and my speed does go down. And like, yeah, I mean, it, it's considerably each season. So my question for you is, uh, wh- what's the program there? Like, I'm sure you guys have, have addressed that. Is there some, is, is in season we- different than off season training? Yes, totally. Yeah. And so I think if, you know, uh, Sasha would say a little bit of that is just going to happen, right? Like, you know, depend on what you do to nurture your speed. Uh, but we actually release, and he works with so many tour players. That's the challenge with the tour players. It's like no off season, like, you know, you're like play year round, you know? So, I mean, t- I mean, there is that they'll train in the winter, but like then they're playing a tournament right there in their quote unquote off season. So yeah, we've had to develop programs and we pushed a huge app update, like, about uh, about a month ago where we added a solution for that problem. We had an in season maintenance program. So the main program there is called the cruiser. And the cruiser program is named that because it's like, okay, you gain that speed, man. You don't want to have that little taper off or you want to try to lessen it out a little bit. What do you do? And so it's like light training, man. It's like quicker workouts uh, that are meant to kind of give your body that speed stimulus to help you maintain that speed. You can do it after you, even after you walk plate 18, boom, pop to the range, man. It's like a 10, 12 minute workout. You just boom, do the cruiser. And that's kind of meant to maintain your speed during the in season. So yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely, uh, you know, especially as our product's been out there for a little bit, we've had a lot of users do that, man. They're asking us that question. Hey, what do I do in season? Sasha would have these little 
little programs for sewer players. He's like, yeah, let's put that in the app too. So that's so the cruiser program is now meant to, you know, kind of nurture that speed because speed, you know, speed training, that's like a skill you need to kind of nurture for life. And that's kind of the way to think, I think, think about speed training. And again, I think it's in the, we're in the early days of people doing speed training because, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's strength training and all stuff like guys like Mike Carroll do, we've all done is awesome. There's like getting a ton of great content around that, but it's like, exactly what is speed training exactly how do i do it that's fuzzy you know what i mean so yeah. that's what we're trying to solve is to kind of make that to give folks that freedom of constraints like do exactly this in season and you will nurture and maintain your speed off season go back on a little six-week program ramp it ramp it up even more raise that ceiling even more you know then you'll kind of it's a life it's a lifelong journey man <laughs> yeah speed the need for speed never, never <laughs> no. goes away. Come on. You're either trying to gain it or not lose it. <laughs> what, uh, again, we're talking during U.S. Open week. What are your thoughts on some of the comments at the USGA this week? I mean, it, it was a little cryptic, but, you know, in your world of solving this this challenge in, in research and speed training, like, are, are the... Uh, is the USGA going to come for the stack system? Like, what, what's what oh, man, about some of their proposed changes? Yeah, it's a, that's a tricky one, man. I just, uh, I think golf is in, so I think the, 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 um, the challenging part for us in the industry is this is golf is in such a healthy spot. You know, I don't, I don't ever, th I don't think in, in my time it's been in such a great spot and, you know, whether, you know, kind of upside of, you know, everything that happened with COVID is that golf, you know, since they're out there playing golf and they're loving it. So, you know, I think there's that kind of default mindset from us is like, you know, why, 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 why tweak anything now, man? Like everything's good, you know? So um, I think that's our kind of default position, but yeah, user training, you know, I think for myself personally, I'm trying to solve problems. There's the longer I've worked at paying and done engineering work, the more it's like, uh, Oh, there's a quote out there. It's like the, uh, the further you get from the the shore, the deeper the 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 sea, right? It's like, man, the further I am from starting my career in engineering and trying to solve problems, the more problems I personally see that need to be solved, and the more opportunity. There's new technology. It's like, I thought it was the opposite. I thought, man, I start working in the technology world, you're going to hit the ceiling of this asymptote. And being on the inside and, and working on these things and the technology is quite the opposite. Like, it's like, okay, there's like too much opportunity, too many problems that we can go solve. It's like, which ones do we don't solve? And so, um, you know, that's kind of the framework and the mindset, but that's kind of our default perspective is like, you know, golf's in a healthy spot. And so let's try to just kind of keep it there and, 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 and keep growing the game in, in various ways. I think the good news is, that, you know, a lot of the things being proposed are for the or for the tour player or the tournament golfer only. Like, and I think they're taking if you take a very pragmatic approach that yeah, a recreational golfer out there, we're you know, I don't think they propose anything to to tweak anything for them. And so I think that's a very positive thing. I, I agree with you there. I, I I like that Mike Juan said, you know, distance has always been an advantage and it always should be an advantage. You know, from mm -hmm. Bobby Jones to Jack Nichols, yep. to Tiger Woods, and. Yep. I, I thought about that for a second. I go, if you put a, uh, a persimmon in my hand or you just, you know, brought down whatever the requirements are on a driver I, and, and you held me to it in the amateur event, I'd still swing pretty damn hard. Like I, I, I know yeah. fast, fast. And, and yeah. that's the point is kind of like Nicholas didn't hold back, you know, Bobby Jones didn't hold back. Those guys really yeah. swang with speed. And yeah. Yeah, that was just like, I, I thought it was cool. They said that because, to, to say like, we're going to diminish that advantage. Um, 
doesn't feel right. It just, it's something about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Mike's, Mike's got a, he, he, uh, you know, he, he's, he seems like he's got a, you know, a good uh, kind of mental flow going on how he's thinking about it. I think that's what you're validating there from, from, uh, from the outsider's perspective. Yeah. Um, how do you see uh, speed training and specifically the stack system? How do you get, how do you see that evolving moving forward? I mean, you've, you've already mentioned some enhancements to the app. What else is coming up? Yeah. So, uh, you know, without giving away too much of our, our, our strategy here, you know, I think that, you know, what you'll probably see from us at the stack is that we're going to evolve the ecosystem and the app to help golfers practice and train efficiently. That's really what the speed training is. It's like, okay, speed training is training a certain skill and codifying it and making it easy and simple and very effective. Like we don't waste any of your time. Like every second you're spending on a product is valuable, you know? And we, we realize that we, we respect that. I think we're built for, especially your, you know, uh, your members here are like, you know, they're like you, man. They're like, okay, how am I going to squeeze in my golf time? Like I'm in that boat too. I got two kids too. And like all my stuff's in the garage right here. I don't even have time to drive to a gym, man. So, um, so how do you practice like hyper-efficient on the exact skills you need to get better and enjoy the game more? And so we're going to, we're going to kind of, uh, stack on, uh, new features to the app. They're going to help in other other areas of the game, and so we're working on some things right now that are like mega exciting uh, in other avenues of the game. Uh, that'll help again, like born in Sasha's lab, passed on to the golfer, and uh, and so stay tuned for some really cool stuff that's going to be beyond speed training. And so uh, our brand might evolve into more your you know your stack of of golf skills. And how to practice those uh, hyper efficiently in a very fun, interactive way. Awesome, awesome. I, you know, uh, I can tell you and Sasha are quite a pair because I, I've seen some YouTube videos on, on Sasha and his um, research, and uh, you guys just seem to mesh, complement each other really well. I'll just say that. That's yeah, good team. Sasha could play too, man. He's he's yeah. a he's a two time defending club champion of the course up there, and he bombs okay. it. So okay. he, you know. And he does some fun stuff. He like uh, he's got no ego, man. So he did all this research on heads up putting. He, he's like did the most research in the world on heads up putting. And he, near his little town up there in Canada, no, up in Nova Scotia, like half the people in his town put heads up because they when all you're came saying, when in. You're saying heads up? Are you talking about looking at the hole? You look at the hole when you putt. Yeah, yeah. So he he was you know he thinks very first principles, right? And so. I don't know, something like half the people in his town putt like this because they came in and were part of his study and they were like, oh man, this is way better. So they all got used to it. There's not the whole, you know, I'm embarrassed to putt a different way type of thing. And so like half the people in his town putt with heads up putting. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool. I, you know, now that you say that, uh, some of the best putting in my life I did, where I was only inside of probably five feet, I started looking at the hole. I was, I was having some shorties issues. Um, yep. But I got into a USGA championship doing that, and I shot the life life seriously low. Yeah, yeah. During those rounds, I didn't. But I was kind of. It's funny. I was kind of ashamed. Like I didn't want people exactly. To know. Yeah. I was kind of like I, I was hiding it from people. Like even my friends. Yeah. No one, like I'd played eighteen holes with somebody. Nobody would know. I, I looked at the hole on every putt inside five feet. I stopped doing it, and I I think it's because I just didn't see it as an issue anymore. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's interesting. I'm gonna. I might have to play around with a little distance or, or read about, does he have some material out about? Yeah, that? no, he, he's published all kinds of scientific papers on his research, 
so you can go in there and see all the results, but, um, but it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's not for, he knows it's not for everybody, but as a default, then that might be the way to go. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. All right. I got one more thing for you, Marty. We call it the 19th soul. Um, I usually prep our, our special guest. <laughs> I did not send you this. So, uh, the, the intention of these questions I've, I've adapted, uh, 35 of them from a French novelist named Marcel Proust, who he was after oh. the truest nature of an individual. What we're after today is the soul of the golfer. So we're going to get down to it. Mm. I got 18 of them. They're intended to be short answer. So some of these can get pretty heady and we could spend a lot more time, but I I know you're busy. Uh, Marty Jertson, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hole number one, when and where were you the happiest as a golfer? Oh, walking down that 18th fairway at Bethpage Friday afternoon, man. And I was in like 20th place in the tournament. My wife was there. My, my caddy, my best friend was there beautiful scene man just all the grandstands up picturesque that's awesome number two what's the scariest golf shot straight uphill like 10 footer into the grain dead straight putt and you need (laughs) to make it uphill into the grain dead straight no break good answer number three what is your go-to order at the halfway house Ooh. Club soda with a lemon or lime in it, man. I don't eat a lot on the course, but I love a little sparkling water with lemon or lime. Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? Trait. I'd say strategy. I just love the strategy of golf, like like trying to just play chess against the golf course, not trying to play the competitors, man. So just strategy. Try to have a strategic advantage. Number five, what is the trait you most dislike in other golfers? Oh, slow play. Common answer. Number six, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? I think being talkative and jolly between shots. I think it's, uh, you know, go ahead and focus in when you're in your bubble, ready to hit the shot. But, you know, let's have some fun out there while we're walking the walk and enjoying this great game. Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Overuse. Oh, man. Uh, I used to talk to my ball more than I do now. I'm No, but the other one, something popped in my head quick. But uh, what do I use? I think it's talking to myself. I think I just mumble into myself, man. I think, I think, I think that's what I do. Number eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? Uh, to hit the ball even further. Speed, baby, speed. Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? Uh, I have a putter sitting right here in my office that's um, uh, personally hand-ground uh, original answer putter by the owner of, of ping John a Solheim. It's a commit it he, he personally ground and finished, uh, uh, uh about a hundred answer putters for the 50th anniversary of the answer putter. And, uh, this thing is beautiful. That's that thing's never, never leaving me. That's I, 
who didn't have an answer, you know, from at least the early two thousands for me, man, those, oh, yeah. I still have yeah. my original regrift a few yeah. times. It's yeah. Just this one's a mag bronze. I mean, just beautiful, literally John Solheim grounded with his own hands and, and, and uh, cast from the original answer mold from, from a company called East Bay, which is in, in San Francisco where uh, Redwood city where Karsten first founded the company. So it was literally cast at the original foundry ground by, uh, by, by John A. Solheim. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Number 10, making the turn. What's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? Um, I should throw out. Let's say I have this old I have this old pitch mark fixer, ball mark fixer. This that is literally twenty five years old, and it is so sharp. It's like dangerous. I put it in my pocket. I'm gonna stab myself. I got. I need to replace that thing. If you ever get in a a switchblade fight, you never know. I know, man. I'm 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 stacked when I'm out there, but uh, that thing's dangerous. I need to replace it. Move on. <laughs> uh, number eleven. What is your favorite job or occupation at the golf course? Um, I think the starter. I think the starter, man. That'd be a cool job. Like you would go out there or the ranger. You know, I know you go out there, kind of nudge people on, play fast, but you get to you get to check in on people. And talk to people and everyone's out there have a great time. I think you could you can make an, a real big influence on someone's day. Yeah, I like that. Number 12. Have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? Uh yeah. I got tons of autographs. All of our players at Fing uh, uh who come in, man, they just won a major. You got Louie, Bubba, Cabrera, all these guys, and I got all their autograph flags. And our a lot of our LPJ tour players too. I really uh Look up to to a lot of them, so I got a lot of their autographs too. That's cool. Number thirteen. What historical golf figure do you most relate to? I would say, um, yeah, I would say probably Ben Hogan. Like he was, he was, uh, he was into the equipment side, obviously in the technique side. I don't have the grit that that I don't have the grit that he had, man. But uh, yeah, his, I, his grid score like, is probably off the charts. His grid score is off the charts. I don't have that. I'm not even, I'm not even going there, but uh, you know, I liked his approach to the game and then starting his own equipment company and, and having the, 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 the mindset around that. Number 14, what is your greatest golf regret? Man, I got, I got a lot of regrets. Um, my greatest one is probably, it was probably in the PGA championship qualifier last year, 2021. Uh, I was, I was well inside the, 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 the top 10 to be able to qualify for the PGA championship. And I, I made a few bad decisions, not even bad swings, man. That's going to happen. I made one bad decision on the 11th hole down there at the, in Florida where I, I strategically had a bad shot selection compounded by a bad swing, hit a ball in the water. And I, put me on a, on a spiral to miss the PGA championship by one. So I would, if I had to go back to that 11th tee last year, Port St. Lucie, man, I would make a totally different decision. And I probably would have played the PGA last year. That's it. That's my biggest regret. I'm glad you didn't hide from that question. A lot of people kind of say, ah, oh, you know, move on. I, I oh, remember man. every time I did. Oh yeah. Execute. I really do. That's what I, I said. I got a lot. <laughs> which one, which one hurts the most? Uh, but yeah. you played in a lot of PGA championships. So <laughs> I don't feel too bad for you. Number 15. What is your favorite golf book or golf movie? 
Man, I gotta go with. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of good golf movies out there, but I mean, Caddyshack, man. I gotta go with Caddyshack. I gotta watch that again. I gotta watch that again. Classic number sixteen. Uh, this is a pre pre preface question. Do you like listening to music on the golf course? Uh, you know what? I'm I totally encourage like casual golf, man. So when I even when I bring my kids out there, uh, we'll get the music going. No problem, man. I'm into that. You know, so, I'm into casual golf and then tournament golf, and I don't mind toggling between the two. So if you had one song, only one song to listen to on the golf course for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. what, what's it going to be? Man, you know what? I got into this phase a couple of years ago. I was we're real big in the Zach Brown band. So Zach Brown band, chicken fried, man. I get my flow going and, uh, and, <laughs> rhythm and I, song. I can, yeah, it's the type of song. Like I can hit drive. I can get pumped to hit a good driver and I can be in a good flow to, to putt good too. All right. Number 17. This one is a bit philosophical. If you were to die and come back as any golfer or golf thing, what or who would you be? Oh man, how about a golf course? How about a golf course? Could you, cause that count? That, that counts. There you go, man. Come back as a golf course where people could enjoy you and, and, gener- and, and generate a lot of great memories. Any specific course you might be coming back as? Yeah, you know, I think the old course is up there. I think the old course is up there. You know, if I want to think big picture worldwide, oh, why not? Let's go with the old course. The thing with the old course, I love that answer too, because there's so much energy in that little space of people literally, like it's their pilgrimage. It's the home of golf. Yeah. So many people having one of the best days of their life. Yes. And you can just feel it. So that's a great, that's one of my favorite answers I've ever had. Yeah, I like that. And 18, here we are, final question. If you had a motto, maybe you do what would it be do the work do the work do the work man i think that's uh you know you got to earn it that's what i love about golf man it's like you know people people ask me around the office hey aren't you supposed to be in the u.s open this week i'm like hey didn't earn it you know you gotta do the work so (laughs) that's awesome man well we'll be paying attention for all these future majors to see you at and uh yeah Marty, thanks for coming on, man. This was really uh, illuminating. I enjoyed just getting to know you, and uh, I'm going to be checking out the stack. I think with the time I got, I'm going to start to experiment here and see if I can make some gains. Yeah, just do it in the winter, man. Don't even try to do it right now when you're busy. Just just uh, once once uh, temperatures start to dip and you start yearning for uh, for a little, little uh, splash of golf in the offseason, uh, and you'll get addicted to it. You know, because it's uh, that again, like I said, the app's a cool part. So it'll, it'll keep you going, man. It'll send you, it'll send you push notifications if you so choose, you know. And, so. and, uh, before we let you go, where, where can people check you out? Where, where's people the best place to send them? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the stack system, check us out our website, uh, the stack system.com, the stack system on Instagram. Our Instagram's cool. If you want to see people training with it, all the data, the games, a bunch of our tour players that are using it, got tons of tour players uh using this that's pretty cool you can uh check hit me up on twitter that's i'm most active there at dirty bird um and then uh ping.com man check out all of our cool products over there on ping.com there's you know we, we're continue to innovate on the design and engineering side and our and and so we're uh ballfitting.com if you want to get for get fit for uh for the perfect golf ball so uh that's a that's an awesome thing i encourage everyone to check out or at least just check out the website we got a cool library section on there so any any one of the, any one of those spots awesome well marty thanks again man we we enjoyed having you on and uh see see you soon 
All right, Matt. Enjoyed it. Today's episode with Marty on the bag drop was brought to you by our partners, True Temper, Golf Blueprint, and this July's official partner of the summer medal in Northern Michigan, Journeyman Distillery. Journeyman Distillery has been distilling artisan spirits for over a decade in their historic Featherbone factory located in the one-stop-light town of Three Oaks, Michigan. Grain-to-bottle and certified organic, kosher, and gluten-free award-winning whiskeys. Check out their full line over at Journeyman Distillery on all social and journeymandistillery.com.